Hello, and welcome to The Reconstruction, a show about moving capital toward justice. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director of the Investment Integration Project, or TIP, and Contributing Editor at Impact Alpha. In this series of conversations, I'll be exploring the opportunity for systemic change in this current moment, lifting up the leaders, problem solvers, and bright minds, both in the U.S. and around the world, who can guide us to the next normal that we need. Today, we're joined by John Duong, founder of Kind Capital, an impact investing platform and investment firm he launched in 2020. John had previously founded and led Lumina Impact Ventures, the impact investing arm of the Lumina Foundation. Prior to that, he ran the MRI and PRI portfolios at the WK Kellogg Foundation. John has a background in finance and started his career in investment banking, like me, in a range of roles including M&A, credit risk analysis, equity research, and corporate finance. He sits on the boards of Global Communities, Vitas Group, Credly, Upswing, CellEd, and a bunch of others. So welcome to the reconstruction, John. Thank you very much, Monique. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate you uh, inviting me. Well, we want to know more about Kind Capital, so I'm glad that you could come because kindness is not something you hear about often when talking about the financial services industry and even impact investing. So what's in the name? It's a good question. I had thought very carefully about this over time because there's a lot of terminology that gets conflated or confused. And the idea around social capital, the term social capital, has a number of nuances. And I didn't want it to be socially specifically um, in terms of what we were trying to do. Our goal is to connect capital to impact. And we wanted to do that in a way that was sustainable and scalable. And we thought, well, kind capital seems to make a lot of sense. And that's how we ended up with that name. We have a 20 to 25 year vision to build a social unicorn. Wall Street and Silicon Valley are chasing your classic unicorns, purely focused on financial returns. Our goal is to impact a billion lives over the period that we see, hopefully in the next 20 to 25 years. We believe that connecting capital needs to be done in a way that is scalable, sustainable. And Wall Street, while they're great at driving financial return, they're not really socially impactful. And then philanthropy is really great at driving the social impact side, but of course, uh, they tend not to be very sustainable or scalable, especially when that philanthropic capital or support gets um, reduced or, uh, or or taken away. And so our goal is to find a way to change the business model um, in, in a way that is the best of both worlds. Uh, our platform and our advisory approach is holistic and integrated. Um, each segment of our business complements the other. Uh, in this way, we mitigate risk for each segment while also leveraging the synergies across the different pieces of the business model to serve the stakeholders better. Um, our view is that capital alone is a commodity. Uh, there's a lot of that now. Um, uh, the problem is that it's not enough to provide capital. You have to provide smart strategic capital that brings other value-added capabilities uh, to support entrepreneurs and investors. And, and that's what's ultimately um, going to set us apart uh, from other investors or philanthropic uh, funders uh, as an attractive partner. Uh, as an example, and I'll end here, is that you know we have a shared services capability that allows us to help entrepreneurs build software at half the cost or to find diverse talent as fractional executives to support their leadership team. These are things that entrepreneurs are looking for beyond just the check. A billion lives. That's a big number. Um, 
why a billion? And um, it, does that scare anyone when you say that to them? Yeah, it, it does. And it sounds crazy. It, it sounds, you know, fantastic. People just assume that you're on, you know, drugs or something. And as you think about um, back of the envelope math, um, if you look at very early stage companies, the scale and impact is much more direct, but certainly smaller in numbers. When we look at venture investing, right, a company may in the edtech space might impact 100,000 students or a million students, relatively small. But when you start going into these larger later stage companies, they're impacting millions or tens of millions of people. I had an example uh, that someone gave to me where it was a solar sort of, I think, panel or some type of energy generating company in Africa that was serving 10 million individuals or families. That's a lot of lives. That's one company. If you can imagine a portfolio of 100 companies, right, at different stages, um, the touch points, you will touch a billion lives in 20 to 25 years. It's actually very doable. And for us, you know, there are companies looking for a million lives or 10 million lives or 100 million. It, it's, it's fine, but their time frame is shorter. We're looking for this longer term ultimate um, objective. And our hope is that we will exceed it actually uh, and not just meet it. But the way that we thought about the math and the numbers, it's actually much more achievable than it sounds. That's powerful. And honestly, why were you compelled? Because it sounds like this is almost a force beyond you in some ways when you think about the need for a billion lives to be impacted. So why did you feel like you this needed to exist? If you think about um, the number of people suffering today, it is incredible. A billion lives on the scheme of things in 20 to 25 years, that's actually not that big of a proportion of the world, right? Given the rate of population growth, um, even today, there's a lot of vulnerable um, you know, population geographies that are suffering. And that to me would be an incredible goal. It's a moonshot, right? Let's be honest. It's not, not easy to do. But you have to you have to target something that is such a stretch goal that even if you didn't quite get there, it's going to be satisfying, right? If you set such a low bar, then you know yes, it's great that you serve that many lives, but why not? Why not go and shoot for the moon? Because I think that ultimately we want to impact as many lives as possible. This is a stretch goal, but it, it's in our mind very achievable uh, if we do the right things and the milestones get hit. So how did you get here to this point? Can you tell us a little bit about John's story and why you are uniquely qualified and positioned to help deliver on this big goal? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I'm not sure if I'm uniquely qualified. Let's, um, let me caveat. I think there's plenty of smarter people, more experienced people and, and uh, much more well-resourced individuals. Um, for me, it's a personal drive because of my own background, um, having started where I started. You know, when, when people hear, you know, John Duong, Wall Street banker, blah, 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 and there's this immediate perception, right? When you hear someone's an investment banker, Yale grad, there's this perception that they grew up with a silver spoon, they had private school backgrounds, and, and that's completely the opposite. Uh, I, my family and I were uh, survivors of the Khmer Rouge concentration camp in Cambodia. 
we were very lucky to get out as refugees and got sponsored to the U.S., Wisconsin of all places, a small town called Lacrosse in Wisconsin, uh, by the Catholic Church. And, you know, my parents are not educated. They were the classic immigrant story, um, you know, grew up really poor. They built um, a business. They started as cleaners at a small uh, Greek restaurant. Um, my mom was a cleaner, uh, you know, did cleaning the toilets and um, cleaning the tables and eventually learned enough English that uh, they made her a waitress and then became a cashier. My dad learned to cook. Um, eventually, the owner of the restaurant sold it to us. Um, so my dad bought bought the business, converted to a Chinese restaurant. So we sold baklava and Greek food with Chinese food. Uh, so it was a Chinese Greek restaurant. I mean, that's what I grew up on is uh, tabbouleh salad and, and egg rolls. Uh, but, you know, I used that experience to understand what it was like to be in a situation where you're less um, resourced. You are, you could use the opportunity and excuse, right, to, to just give up and, you know, do what um, could set you back even further. Uh, or you can use that as what they call, was it post-traumatic growth, right? Um, and leverage that challenge uh, and overcome it and trying to find ways to help others. And that's really what has gotten me to switch careers from banking to philanthropy. I think um, I knew that, you know, my purpose of surviving um, when I was back in Cambodia wasn't because I'm supposed to make a boatload of money. Be nice, don't get me wrong. But um, I think there's more to life uh, than making money. And hopefully, you know, what we're building uh, with Kind Capital, the experience that I've had over the years uh, will position me to bring others uh, to, to align with this mission and, and goal. And, and we can all uh, get there together as opposed to, you know, it's a John initiative. It, it isn't. It is, it is um, ideally uh, John helping to get others involved and, and aligned to drive this mission. Your story resonates very deeply with me. My family is, has an immigrant story as well. Um, but I am not the only one out here who needs it to resonate. So when you think about how people have responded to this and to you, what's been the reception in the field to um, kinder capital? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> it's been mixed reviews. I will say, first of all, I launched this in um, February of 2020. So literally just the midst of a COVID and riots. It's not exactly the best time to start a company. However, um, for me, it was if I didn't do it now, I, I will never do it. And, you know, it's and the need is actually greater. Right. It is during these economic recessions and challenges that we have greater need for impact uh, and the available capital is is even uh, less. So, you know, when I talked about this idea, um, I, I think the negative side is like, well, John, your business model, your platform, all the things that you're doing, it is just way too many things at once. Uh, and this is ironically the type of advice I used to tell entrepreneurs that I invest in. It's like, focus, focus. And here I am doing the complete opposite. Um, but on the other hand, the reason why we're building so many different pieces and segments um, at the same time is because they are interrelated and complementary. And as I mentioned before, uh, one piece will support the other and mitigate risk while also providing synergies to, to drive the upside and scale even faster. And when I explain this to, to folks who have been in the space or have been an entrepreneur, they actually uh, are much more positive. It's like, my gosh, we really need this. I was literally talking to, I won't mention which venture capitalist yesterday, um, 
explaining this concept to him. He goes, oh my goodness, I'm an angel investor. I've been in a venture capital. I try to support the entrepreneurs. My network is gone. All the things that you're talking about in terms of how to support an entrepreneur. I was an operator. I became an investor. I could see why these different pieces are so necessary. And so I think that's that's a positive confirmation of product market fit, right? As in venture capital, you're always thinking about that. So there are way too many silos, as I think, in the world as it exists today, um, in the traditional business model anyways. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. Um, what we're trying to do is reimagine the business model, finding the right partners to push that ecosystem forward, the the impact investing ecosystem uh more, more specifically, we're not here trying to compete against a venture capital fund because I think venture capital will compete against each other for deal flow. Because of who we are, we're kind capital. We're an impact investor. The probability of us partnering and collaborating with a traditional VC is much higher than another VC collaborating with another VC. Um, our role in the market is differentiated for that purpose. We have a track record in supporting certain types of entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs of color, female, BIPOC, um, as well as more traditional investments. And that allows us to be that partner that people don't feel threatened or competitive against, but more collaborative. And that's what we're trying to, you know, to do. I mean, I, in my friends have to, you know, ask, Hey, John, you know, why, why won't you just go and find a nice cushy job that makes you a lot of money at a bank or a fund. Um, and boy, there are days when I ask myself that as well. Um, and, and instead I'm draining my savings to build kind capital. And, and quite honestly, none of those alternatives, whether I join a fund or a bank or whatever to make a, a lot more money will change the system. It's just exacerbates it. And that's not what I have thought my life was driven by. So that that's what gets me excited. Well, as you mentioned, you know, you are a seasoned investor. You used to be on the other side of the table um, allocating capital. You founded other things. Um, you've sat on boards of things that were founded, all kinds of startups. So in your experience, now that this is your path, what are, have been some of the surprises? Or I guess, where have you had to make lemonade also out of some uh, lessons learned as you embarked on this? I think a couple things worth noting. Uh, one is to partner with smart investors who you enjoy working with. There are a lot of smart investors, but uh, you got to find and co-invest with the right ones. If you're co-investing with the wrong partners, it can be very, very painful. It's like a bad marriage that you just cannot get out of. And and, and, and again, I've never been married, so I can't. I can only allude hear what people talk about. But quite honestly. Um, when I was on the board of an investment that I um, had co-invested with a number of other uh, venture funds, it was very clear there's a misalignment of values and the poor entrepreneur is stuck, right? And now not only are they stuck with um, investors on their cap table that weren't necessarily getting along, but also very different strategic visions for what the company should be doing. and you have to be much more sensitive and careful early on before making a co-investment. So that's one lesson that I've learned. Use your judgment uh, and you know leverage co-investments through due diligence, but don't rely on it. We've made that mistake as well. Even the best investors make mistakes. No one is 100% right. So you can't just blindly follow the decision uh, or um, recommendation from a smart investor. You take it, you analyze it, and if you agree with it, awesome, but use your own judgment as opposed to blindly following someone else because you might be following them on the deal that they messed up. 
And so we've seen that happen as well. It's a great lessons learned um, for us. And then entrepreneurs, as I mentioned before, they want more than just your money. Uh, they don't. They want your time and your capabilities uh, to add value. So as an example, you know, something as simple as someone just to talk to uh, and bounce ideas off of on strategy, how to position um, their product or their technology or their solution or service. How do you interact with the board and make sure that the board's getting what it wants to be confident in their business? How do you leverage the board? Uh, someone that they can actually trust and and want to help them authentically and not just, hey, I wrote you a check. You better make me a lot of money. Helping them think through who to bring in as an investor uh, in the next round, as well as the fundraising process itself. Those are the things that's going to differentiate you beyond just the check. And a lot of times people think, I made that investment. This is you know all they wanted from me. Uh, that's not true. And a, a smart entrepreneur is going to find the right capital and not just the capital. And I think it's last thing that I would mention really important is that it's much easier to build the right culture than trying to change an existing one, right? So making sure that you hire the right people uh, at the very beginning, early on, because that's going to make a huge difference in terms of uh, alignment of mission, alignment of vision and execution. You, you need to be able to trust uh, the people that are on your team to represent you well. And if you don't have that, it's going to be very, very hard. And then the style interactions, everybody is not exactly the same. And that's good because you want the diversity of thought, diversity of, of, of personalities. However, the culture has to be curated very, very early. Otherwise, it's very, very hard to change later on. You are giving so much as I think about the way that you are building this company and the way that you're interacting probably with those who've already joined you in this journey. And your social media handle is the do good investor. So where do you look for good energy to stay this course? And um, as we think about who the rest of us should be reading and watching as, as we try to follow in your footsteps for insight and inspiration to help usher in this next normal that we need, where do you go? Uh, I was hearing this quote, which I thought was really interesting, um, uh, a Mark Twain quote that says, it ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that ain't so. And that is so right on the money when it comes to investing and when it comes to seeing the things in the world today um, where you expect things to be a certain way and common sense would tell you it should be, but it's not. And that's what's scary. So I find that um, also as a perfect example on the investment side is racial and gender biases in investing, despite research data showing you that higher alpha is generated with more diversity, right? Common sense would tell you if the data shows you that, you should do that. But again, that that was a quote that I heard recently from um, one of my Kaufman Fellow um, sessions. And then there's two individuals that I, I thought um, uh, worth really thinking about or following is Henry Ward. Um, he's the founder of Carta. And I think Carta's business model, while they started purely as a cap table tool, has evolved and diversified in such a way that I believe if you follow what they do, you'll see the evolution of the financial markets, um, how and what is going to happen there. Elon Musk is another individual that I tend to look into and seeing what he's doing. Again, you know, it's what he's done with Tesla and how that's changed the way that people think about electric cars and sustainability, it's amazing. And yet the irony is people don't even think about um, the business model. Tesla's profitability, a lot of it comes from their carbon credit sales. 
who would have thought, right? You thought it's from car making, but it's not, right? Um, not you, but in, in general, when when people think about Tesla, I think about the cars, but their business model, this shows you the innovation of what they're doing. They're generating, I think about two, almost 2 billion in estimated um, revenue from uh, carbon credit sales this just this, this year. Um, and then the last person I would say is um, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History. Um, I think in this time and age, given all the racial tension, really important to um, have a perspective. And I've listened to his podcast. I, I, I think it's really interesting to have these different um, understanding of, of history and the context. Uh, and then the last thing I will say is, you know, I'm trying to figure out cryptocurrency. I still don't get it. And it's driving me bonkers because it's such a hot thing right now. And NFTs, why someone paid 60 plus million dollars for an NFT that I'm just like, wow. Um, so that's a, those are things that I'm tracking and it's, it's good learning. It's not necessarily super relevant to what, you know, kind capital is doing, but some of the stuff are. These are powerful suggestions. And when we think about what all of this weaves together, um, you know, is there a characteristic, like one thing our next normal must have given what you're learning, given what you hear as we join each other and the collective in this quest to move capital towards justice, like what, what does it need to have to make this world kinder? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tough question. Um, I think if I were to pick one, I think incentives need to be aligned uh, and, and so much accountability when it comes to metrics tied to equity and social justice. Um, there's a lot of people talk and talk and talk. And I mean, we've been talking about this for God knows how long, right? Um, you really need to find a way to align those things. Uh, imagine if leaders are held fully accountable for social justice metrics. Humans are instinctively self-interested. So if you tie a target goal um, where that leader or individual is rewarded for achieving, then in, in, in this case, uh, social justice goal, there would be a lot more likelihood of that metric, that target, that goal being prioritized over other things rather than getting the lip service that it currently does. Now, you've, you've seen a lot of publicity, a lot of corporations coming out saying, you know, we, you know, we, we, we support Black Lives Matter. We are going to do this and this. You know what? Wait five years. Actually, you don't have to wait five years. Let's wait six months. Is this actually going to stick? And the only way you're going to see that stick is if you have accountability and incentives aligned to measure and and and, and stick with that. Um, otherwise, it's just lip service. I love that. My word for the year is accountability. I, I don't know all the ways that that's going to manifest, but I think that's super important to flag. And um, as we think about what do we need to do now in order to, to not be perceived by future generations of having done lip service to this moment? Because I think there is an, an opportunity of right now. And as we counter that with like this concept that came to me through the work of Adrienne Marie Brown, we're living in the ancestral imagination of others. In our imagination will be what the next generations live in. So what do we need to do now to be good ancestors as we think about the opportunity of right now? I think this 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 might sound a little fluffy, um, but I think as at the individual level, uh, we need to be kinder to ourselves uh, and to each other. It's not a play on our 
firm's name, but I really believe that. Um, I had spoken with someone about two years ago, a wealthy Silicon Valley investor, philanthropist, uh, and, he, and he told me that in his view, it's not John's, in his view, a lot of the societal issues that we see today are driven by self-hate and innate dissonance. Individuals are unhappy with themselves and their actions are a reflection of that. When we are happier with ourselves, we care more about the environment, we care more about other stakeholders, and we care more about others in general. So if we can just find a way to be kinder to ourselves, we will hopefully transcend that self-hate and be kinder to others. If you think that way, uh, then the things that we see happening, hopefully, um, would not be as likely to happen is, is the theory. And I actually believe that. Um, I, I firmly believe that once you are happier with yourself and you understand some of the things that um, are going on and you can process it, you wouldn't see the craziness that's happening in society today. Um, the second thing is that I think we need to think longer term. Leaders need to have a 50 or 100 year plan rather than just trying to meet quarterly milestones or earnings that might sacrifice the future to get there. We see, um, you know, like, again, certain countries um, look at really, really long-term planning strategies. I, this is probably not the right way to say it, but I'm not a huge fan of the Communist Party. However, the one thing that they do really well is they plan long, long-term. Um, I think when you think in those type of, mindset right you know here in when we look at public market reports financial reports mm -hmm. it's all about the quarterly earnings quarterly earnings that's literally three months it's unbelievable how short that is if we start thinking 50 years 100 year plans this forces us to think about the domino effect of our actions and the system more than the short-sighted results right and it takes time for these short-sighted results to have the domino effect if we're looking just at the three month six month type of period, we're not going to see the long-term impact. And that's the problem. We're doing things that do not take into account the later on longer-term impact. So incentives should be structured around that holistic target metric um, uh, rather than just financial returns, I think is, 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 is critical. Uh, and the only way you do that is if you think longer term. SoftBank founder, um, what's his name? My, Masayoshi Son, he has a 300-year plan. I mean, that's how he thinks. He's not even going to be around, right? But that's how he thinks. How are we going to impact the future 300 years from now? I'm not even asking us to go 300 years. It's just 50 to 200 years. Kind Capital is only thinking 25. I, now I feel like I'm short shortchanging ourselves. But that that's the type of mindset that we have to have. And then related to that, I guess the last part, which is exactly what I said, accountability and patience. Um, to me, those are key. Funders need to focus on real impact. They have to think longer term and be open-minded to funding innovation and innovative ideas and concepts. They talk about it, but a lot of them, they still fund the same thing over and over and over again, expecting that to change and, and the results to be different. You got to stop funding the same people expecting the, same, the new ideas. You have to take the risk of funding new people, new ideas, or new business models or new ways of doing things. It, it's it's incredible to me that we hear people talk a lot about innovation and yet the way that they fund, the way that they invest, it isn't driven that way. And that's just really frustrating. So I guess the last piece is, like I mentioned, is just accountability and patience. Being willing to wait for that impact to happen. You can't expect 
a longer term metric and objective or goal that you're trying to reach to be reached in three months and pull the plug on it. It doesn't work so well. Not when we need systems change. That's not how fast that moves. Exactly. I love that concept of the 300 year plan. I am going to start writing one. Oh, great. <laughs> I won't be around to see it, but. <laughs> so what are some of the upcoming milestones that we expect for Kind Capital in the months ahead? And maybe not the quarterly. Give me even the long term, huh? Yeah, this will be the next 12 to 18 months. So um, I would say uh, one is uh, a book on impact investing, which is a more practical guide than theory. So if someone is interested in getting into impact investing, this should be a good start. Uh, so I'm hoping to get that done in the next call it six months. We are building our marketplace slash community uh, called Capital Connect. So the platform, the beta version should be out uh, within the next 12 months. We should hopefully, if th things go where we think it will be, be running a venture studio as a service in partnership with a major nonprofit client, helping them to invest in uh, entrepreneurs of color and female entrepreneurs, particularly in the tech and workforce space. So that is particularly of interest to us. Um, it's really exciting because we have to incubate a lot of these early stage companies because if they don't start early, they won't exist. And if you don't help them get to where they need to go, they definitely are not gonna be a future pipeline available for them to scale and for future rounds of capital to invest in. So for us, that's really exciting. And then we're doing, um, as I mentioned uh, before, there are various initiatives that we're looking to drive in terms of collaboration with governmental agencies that can help rebuild our country uh, and drive a more equitable economic recovery. Um, I won't mention the state that we just recently sent a uh, application into, uh, but that's the first state and there will be as much need in other states. And our hope is that if we got that RFP we should be in a position to execute and, and replicate that in other places. And then the last piece is just we're in the early stages of launching our impact fund. We are hopeful that given what we're trying to do and where the market needs are, the niche that we're trying to fill, this fund should be a good vehicle for partners who are interested in uh, driving impact but also making a financial return that's not discounted or subsidized. And we are not supposed to be re replacing another venture fund or impact fund. Um, our goal is to be able to be a great partner, even as an impact fund of our own, to collaborate with other impact funds and other traditional venture or private equity funds. And that's why we want to build it. Um, our goal isn't to, like I said, compete against other uh, fund managers. It's literally, how do we help them be successful uh, in a way that is, is, is going to be sustainable and scalable and, and authentic? Well, it sounds like you're busy. So, I, and I look forward to, to seeing everything that you all bring forth into this world. And thank you for taking time out of that busy schedule to join us today. You can follow John and his team at Kind Capital by signing up for their newsletter at kindcap.com. The Reconstruction is a project of Impact Alpha. The steering committee includes Erica Seth Davies and Carrie Hansen, with thanks to Dr. Jillian Marcel. We have benefited from the wisdom of our brain trust of more than a dozen leaders in the field. To send us your favorite quote or ideas for future guests who you think represent the principles of the Reconstruction, email us at tr at impactalpha.com. 
Impact Alpha's editor is David Bank, and our producer is Isaac Silk. Special thanks to Lainika Little and Cesar Chavez. You can see Impact Alpha's reconstruction coverage at impactalpha.com slash the dash reconstruction and sign up for a mailing list to learn when new episodes are released. The Reconstruction Podcast is free of charge, but it's powered by Impact Alpha subscribers. Join us, impactalpha.com slash subscribe. And today's final thought comes from John himself. He offers two thoughts to live by. Number one, common sense isn't common. And number two, don't be a waste of oxygen. <laughs>